Today's show is made possible by Fittery. You've probably purchased some dress and casual shirts online before. And sadly, you've probably had to return many of those items because they just didn't fit. Now, you do realize, of course, that billions are spent returning all of these poorly fitting clothes, right? Well, the madness can stop. The hassle of having to return all of this stuff can stop. Well, this is where Fittery comes in. They've devised a process by which you can almost guarantee that the dress and casual shirts you buy online will fit. And from brand names you'll recognize, Brooks Brothers, J. Crew, Land's End, Ralph Lauren, to name just a few. And they're adding more brands every day. Now, I myself use Fittery, and setting up my account was very simple and took almost zero time. Just go to fittery.com intrepid, complete the quick size tool, and you'll soon be ordering dress and casual shirts that actually fit. Again, that's fittery.com intrepid. You'll love Fittery, and you'll actually enjoy and look forward to ordering clothes online again. Let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. I don't know what it is. Uh, The last several months, we've had a couple of very intriguing conversations on this show about business transformation. And and we're going to have another one today, another exciting perspective on this. So critical. Uh, Most people in business, myself and my team included, really struggle with affecting positive change in our organizations and so can't have enough conversations on this subject. Uh, We're joined today by Lisa Hillenbrand and Ellen Oster. They are the co-authors of a new book called Stragility, Excelling at Strategic Changes. Lisa, Ellen, welcome to the show. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, we're happy yeah, to have you. Pleasure. Yeah, well, the pleasure's mine. Thanks for carving out time to join me. Uh, Lisa, I'll start with you. Uh, take a few seconds to tell the audience a bit about you and your background. Sure. I spent a long career at Procter & Gamble, where I led a number of org- big organization changes. And what I learned is that people just didn't have the skills needed to make successful organization change, and that as people practiced and got better at them, we were much more successful. Since then, I am now I have my own consulting business, and I've worked for companies large and small on organization change and on marketing strategy and plans. Ellen, uh, give us a little bit of history of you and your background. Okay, so I'm an academic and a practitioner, and all of my work really centers on strategic transitions and transformations and turnarounds. 
And I've been doing that, oh, geez, for over 25 years, teaching MBAs, exec MBAs here in Toronto um, at York University, and also um, doing a lot of practitioner work. And actually, that's how Lisa and I met, is we led a bunch of high-impact initiatives at Procter & Gamble. And so we've just kind of relaunched a practice around our Stragility work, which is the book we'll be talking about today. All right. Well, again, the book is Stragility, Excelling at Strategic Changes. Ellen, what in the heck do you mean by Stragility? Yeah, great question. So Stragility actually emerged when I was typing Strategic Agility one, one morning and my fingers were flying a little faster than my brain. And I thought, ooh, that's just such a cool word, word, (laughs) stragility. And really it's all about, you know, in today's incredibly complex and also fast-paced business environment, it's all about really staying ahead of the curve. That's the strategic part in stragility. And the agility piece is seeing every change as an opportunity not only to win for this round, but also to build your change capabilities for tomorrow. So that's the strategic and the agile piece. And then we add a third element, which we think is most essential and companies often tend to overlook or rush through is the whole people-powered aspect. So stragility for us is strategic, agile, people-powered change. Got it. So how is it different from strategery? <laughs> we so, won't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we don't I have was to. ready to take that. <laughs> well, I w- I'm curious now. Now you, now you have to answer it. Okay. So what I was going to say is, a lot of companies do focus much more on the strategic side, and they tend to neglect actually engaging and inspiring people and kind of the execution and implementation piece. And so companies do focus more on that strategic piece. And we've found again and again with the companies we work with that when we work with not only that strategic element, but also the people and and building the agility, that's when you really win at change. See, here's Uh, where I have a problem with that idea of, I agree with you, most organizations focus on strategy first and only. And I think... They don't, most organizations don't really know what strategy is. I think they're thinking more tactical than they are strategic, and, and, I, and I think it's a big problem. When, when, as you said, they're only focused on the strategy side of this, that if you ask 10 people to define strategy, I think you're going to get 10 different answers. How big a problem is that? Well, that's a really big problem because if people don't know what they're heading towards, then it's pretty hard to get people on board and get everybody aligned and everybody working well together. So I I think you're absolutely right, Todd, that so often in organizations, people are busy firefighting and busy handling today's problems. And there's actually interesting studies about how much of your time do you spend actually doing work that's directly linked and connected to the strategic purpose of the company. And it varies, of course, but it typically ranges from 5 to 20%, which means 80% of our time we're actually not focused on driving priorities that connect to the strategic vision. So that's, that is a huge issue. The other thing we've found is that many companies have good strategies, well thought out, and the difference between success and failure is that they don't get the strategies executed because they fail to, sometimes the strategies are too rigid, so they lock and load on strategies. Sometimes they ignore politics. Sometimes they just tell and sell without 
and engaging people. And sometimes they overwhelm the organization with so much change that people are completely exhausted. So as we thought about our book, we took those four areas, which are the common areas where people stumble and develop success principles or skills around those to, to increase the chance that an organization would succeed would succeed at strategic change. Sadly, today, only 70% of changes fail, and we want to increase those odds. Well, that's significant, but frankly, not surprising. In fact, I'm surprised it's not a little bit higher than that. <laughs> Here, here's the other thing I want kind of, I think, foundational to this conversation is is this idea of change and, and business transformation it is is this isn't a one time thing. Right. I mean, in this day and age, you don't just put a, a, a better, fresher motivational poster above the receptionist desk and say, all right, done. Change is made. We have a cool thing hanging on the wall. Clearly, we know what we're talking about here. Change is, is a whole different thing. And, and it's very common now. Right. I mean, I think change is the new constant. It's the new normal. I, I think a lot of organizations still struggle with that and, and don't necessarily believe that. Or if they think, well, all right, we have to make we have to undergo some some business transformation here, but once we do it, we're done and we're good. I think it's a constant thing, right? Absolutely. And, you know, that's a key element of strategy is seeing today's change as an incredible opportunity to hone and develop and build and strengthen our skills for tomorrow's changes. And so often in organizations, we find because of the relentless pressures, you know, it's tempting to really kind of speed through the change and, you know, good enough kind of speed through and force feed the change rather than really engaging and inspiring and bringing the ideas, unleashing the passion and the potential of the people in the organization to come up with better solutions. But also that ownership is, is a key ingredient and in people being willing to embrace more change, right? If I've, if I've had the opportunity to actually contribute ideas and see those ideas come to life, I'm much more likely to embrace the next round of changes than I am if I've felt like I've kind of had the Kellen and sell thing happen to me and I, you know, nobody really cares about what I think. And so for us, that element of seeing today's change as really just this great opportunity for building the change capabilities for tomorrow really differentiates our approach. And, you know, so what does that mean? That means things like go slow to go fast around working through the politics, which so many organizations kind of struggle, struggle under the rug, and also engaging and inspiring, as I've just mentioned. And third, really being choiceful about the, the changes that companies take on. Right. We can bombard people with change or we can kind of streamline change. And we're happy to talk about any of those more in more detail. Yeah, well, we're going to go deeper in some of those counterintuitive strategies a little bit later in the, in the broadcast. One final point before we go to break is, is I want to make it real clear. Now, you guys, as you said, you collaborated on some transformational change projects at Procter & Gamble. That's not a small organization. Uh, it's not necessarily Abe's Rib Shack. I mean, we're talking about a major organization. But I think the key point here to understand for those listening is that the change you're talking about isn't just organizational that the entire company is going through. This change can happen at all levels, right? Big and small organizations. It can be even personal change. It can be team change. It can be division change, and, and it can also be organizational change, right? This, uh, these lessons and these principles and these concepts apply at every level where change occurs, yes? 
Exactly. So, so any size organization, or if you're with a team or a partner on a small business, it's the same principles that, that apply regardless of whether the organizations are big or small. We also believe that the ability to change made important competitive advantage that a company can have or a set of individuals or a team can have. All right. Lisa, Ellen and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com. All right, so I am back with Lisa Hillenbrand and Ellen Oster, the co-authors of Stradility, Excelling at Strategic Changes. All right, so Ellen, I'll start with you. Uh, what makes Stradility different from other means, other strategies, other concepts behind transformational change? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I think there are four key elements that differ in our approach, and those are actually our foundational stability skills that form the backbone of the book. The first that we see so often is companies really locking and loading on the first feasible strategy and then kind of pushing forward in a top-down sort of way, often, often because of extreme time pressures. And so the first fragility skill is sense and shift, which is a bit of uh, an alternative approach. And really, that's all about watching our wings and being attuned to game changers externally all the time. So it's not about we only do it at the annual retreat. It's about we need people watching that all the time. And a lot of companies have futurists now, people who are hired full-time, full-time positions, but that's what they're doing. And so, but whether, you know, you've got a full-time position dedicated to it or whether it's just having the discipline to take the time to look externally, to look at those, look for those game changers, and also to keep your eyes out on the periphery. So what's happening on the edges of our competitive space that might soon kind of encroach on our market share? So that's about kind of the sense piece and watching our wings and the periphery. Then the shift piece is really about course correcting as you go. So often in change, as you were mentioning, Todd, it's kind of a lock and load. Here's the plan. Let's execute. Let's roll it on out kind of mindset. And really, for today's relentlessly changing external environment, we need to be changing all the time. So the shift piece is all about course correcting as we go, asking what's working well that we can reapply and leverage, and also asking what's not working well and really getting to those root causes so we can address the issues and not have them kind of keep bubbling up again and again. So that first principle is sense and shift. Lisa's going to take the next one. 
Okay. There's probably no more difficult subject to talk about at work than politics. And I don't mean the presidential election. I mean the organization politics. People tend to want to avoid politics like the plague. And we believe instead of ignoring politics, we need to all embrace our inner politician. And by that, I mean really develop the skills of a politician to, first of all, understand the political landscape. Who are the groups who are likely to support us? Who are the groups who are likely not? Who are the people who are influencers in those groups? And what are their needs? And what are the things that they're looking for in this change? What are the things they fear? What are the things that look like positives about the change? And really engaging people, as I say, instead of running away from politics, really talking to people, spending the time to really understand that landscape, and particularly looking at the people who are skeptical and understanding why people are skeptical. Often, the surprising thing is that the skeptics have, they just see that there are some pitfalls that they, or some pieces of the change that aren't right. And by addressing their issues, often it leads them to be very strong supporters and leads the organization to fully embrace the change. So I think, Lisa, there are too many people that think, oh, I'm just going to distance myself from the office politics because it's just it generally is evil and it's bad, bad news. You can't. And there's no organization that exists in humanity that is that is free of politics. No organization. And so to pretend that it's not there and pretend it's not happening and to try to ignore it is only going to worsen the problem. Right. I mean, so what you're saying is, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, is embrace that, take advantage of it, become more political. And, and there's we could, shoot, we could have a three hour conversation about how to about all this one topic, but it's there and it's not going to go away. And so you have to deal with it for, for any kind of transformational change to occur. Right. Exactly. In the end, all change comes down to people. One person at a time, changing behaviors, moving toward an important goal, usually to get to a particular mission or goal in an organization. And so politics is just collections of people, understanding people's needs, meeting people's needs, helping people understand the big picture and what's in it for them that's so important in any change. Ellen, let me ask you, we talked at the top half of the show about the fact that, yes, change is constant, change is the new normal, and it's it's a never-ending process. However, where do you draw the line between and where does change fatigue become a problem where, all right, look, change is the new normal, so we're going to be changing all the time, and, and, and that becomes, you go too far. I mean, walk me through the, the fine line between being prepared for modern business where change is the new normal, but not going too far to where you have change fatigue, which then torpedoes any kind of effort. Yes, you're absolutely right. Change fatigue really is an epidemic in organizations today, and what we've seen again and again is that we really do need to change all the time and change is the new normal. So then the question becomes, how do we do change in a way that's not exhausting? And we found some things that really seem to make a difference that aren't really rocket science, but once we say them, when we work with organizations, people are like, oh yes. And a few of those are, you know, this idea of change less to achieve more. And what do we mean by that? It's about taking the time up front in a change to think about what should we stop doing? What can we sunset? So often in organizations, we never reflect and ask, you know, 
Do we still need this process anymore? What about all this paperwork? Is it really necessary? Are there better ways to do this? And so one of the first things we coach companies on is thinking about what can we sunset and stop? And then once people think about that, it's also easier to think about what are our new priorities. And we have tools in the book that can help you with this. So thinking about what can we sunset, how do we prioritize those highest impact, highest likelihood of success initiatives. And then it's about rather than doing a full-on rollout, often we find that if we pilot and prototype an idea, we can work out the kinks, save a lot of exhaustion and frustration and then roll it out. So again and again, we see when we work with companies, if we suggest, you know what, let's do a small pilot in one pocket of the organization and just see how this works, that that saves so much time and frustration and aggravation later on. And then a third thing is to really think about the pacing. So how do we build in some quick wins from the beginning to kind of keep people's energy and momentum up? When's a good time to launch this change? How do we kind of place milestones that pe- so that people kind of feel moments of success along the way that they can celebrate and enjoy and then kind of roll back their sleeves, roll their sleeves back up? And uh, kind of working with people on how to optimize their energy. So whether that's walking meetings, taking micro breaks, really encouraging people to take their vacation time so they're energized when they come back, removing some of what we call the headbangers, the frustrations that kind of are really energy draining. And the last thing is really all about learning, learning from what we do. So here again, we can avoid change fatigue and kind of cultivate change fitness by not reinventing the wheel in different parts of the organization, by sharing what worked and what didn't work with various changes. And so with these kind of five or six things around setting projects, prioritizing, piloting, kind of doing, getting the pacing right, optimizing our energy, and then also kind of learning, we, you can pretty much avoid change fatigue. You know, you can build change fitness so that we can continuously respond and adapt and morph as we need to. Well, I should have known that you were going to say uh, change fitness when talking about change fatigue. Well, it, it, it's exactly the right concept and it helps you understand exactly what you got to do there. Lisa, let me, you know, we, we've said a couple of times during this conversation that sometimes this, this, is a, this becomes a top down move, or I think you guys call it maybe telling and selling. I, I think it's really easy when you read it in a book and see it in a lecture and, and, and understand this idea that you have to get the entire breadth of the organization involved and believing in this change versus just dictating from above. I mean, that that's I think it's easily understood. I think it's I think it's for whatever reason seems to be really hard to do. Can in fact I'll ask each of you to comment on this. Is what what is some best advice on so management of either an organization or a team or a division who's listening to this and says, "Oh, I, I need to affect uh, the transformational change effort in in my constituency here," I, I, and I want to get I want to get buy in from everyone. And maybe I'm even asking the question the wrong way, which I think maybe is part of the problem with management doing it wrong. How do you how do you get buy in? I guess let me ask the question simply this way. How do you get buy in from 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 the entire organization that you're trying to involve in the change? 
Sure. The first place I'd start is with a compelling case for change. So often a small group of people decides what's going to change and they never really explain it to anybody else. And so people don't really understand why it is they're expected to change. Also, often a team spends months and months developing a plan without engaging the rest of the organizations. And then the rest of the organization is supposed to respond quickly. So the things you can do are create a case for change, ideally create some sort of a mantra that helps people understand what what you're doing. So for example, a global port worked with a mantra called smooth sailing. What they discovered is they were losing business to many other ports and they could find they had limited number sources of competitive advantage, but they discovered one in hassle-free sailing. And what they did is create this mantra and then they engaged, they literally went by to every department and not only talked about the big goals for the overall port, but what does that mean for an individual person's job? So for example, the parking lot attendant said, well, hey, if we're making the smooth sailing, I can be a greeter and I can get carts out in the parking lot and help families get onto cruise ships, or I can, I can be part of their first vacation. So it was a good example of how you engage people at all levels, from the front line all the way up, to understanding not just the overall change, but what that change, change meant to those people. They went to the department that handled the logistics, and that department talked about how they could redo the paperwork to make the paperwork a lot less onerous. And they actually had helicopters fly onto ships with the paperwork so the ship had a shorter turnaround and got the paperwork all done before they even docked. So they were great concrete examples of how the smooth sailing mantra permeated the organization and led everybody to figure out how to change their jobs to get there. It's a great example. The, the Another uh, a related question to this discussion of getting organizational buy-in, though, is, is the communication effort, right? I mean, this, that, that's an ongoing process. It's not sending one inter-office memo, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So... So, you know, that's where that mantra can be so helpful. We talked uh, at the beginning of the show about often in organizations, people aren't even clear on what the strategy is. And that mantra can be kind of a sticky, easy to share, kind of post it for everyone in the organization to figure out how to anchor the change. So, you know, whether it's smooth sailing, like the global port example, or innovation is our lifeblood, or we put customers first. Having kind of a short and snappy mantra will help people kind of keep that purpose front of mind and figure out how to work their work plans around that purpose. And so that's so key is is that piece around engagement and really getting people clear on what the change is all about. And part of that issue is that, you know, from the top kind of tell and sell approach where people, what the top talks about as the change may not really make a whole lot of sense to the person on the front line if it doesn't really resonate with their, let's say, face-to-face customer reality. We use a rule of thumb of about seven times people need to be communicated. And by communicated, it's all the different interactions, showing people um demonstrations who changed so one organization had was changing their ordering they put 500 different gloves representing 500 manufacturers and people got the idea that they really needed to go to fewer 
fewer companies sourcing materials. But communicating and over-communicating and using different methods of communication. Todd, you mentioned email. It's probably the most overused and the least effective. People don't spend a lot of time reading their email. But one-on-one meeting with people, meeting with departments, having off-sites to explain things, all are very effective ways of building communication over time. And think of it as an internal marketing effort. The same way if you were marketing your company, you'd never do one piece of advertising and stop. Thinking about all the ways that you would market the change internally. Yeah, that makes all kinds of sense. So let's close on this final discussion. So in thinking again about strategy and it being strategy, agility, and people, I feel like we've talked a lot about strategy and the people. I, I want to just close again on a conver- with you guys sharing some insight on how an organization can become more agile. I mean, I, 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 I can understand that it maybe is simpler for a small organization, or certainly a small team. But when I think about the work you guys did at, say, Procter & Gamble, that's not exactly a small organization. And I wouldn't necessarily think of it as potentially agile. How, how should an organization think about agility and, and its role here? And, and if they're currently not Agile. How do they begin to make some change there, no pun intended, to become more agile to facilitate this process? The best organizations do that by implementing regular systems of reviewing plans. So a Procter & Gamble, for example, has annual reviews, monthly reviews, quarterly reviews, and those should look at internal and external factors. Often organizations have scorecards. They look at things within whether they're within range or without range. I think it also getting out of the organization, getting with customers, getting out into markets, there's really no substitute for doing that and learning and seeing and really being on the lookout for the things that may not be linear, that may be coming out of left field. And I think to build on that, so often in change we think about, I think particularly if we're at the top of the organization, we think about what changes do we need to take on? And, and we see again and again in the companies we work with, you know, some of the best ideas come from the ground up. They bubble up from the people. And so by beginning to really empower people to share their perspectives on what needs to be changed can be hugely beneficial. I'll give an example of a, a small and medium-sized company that we worked with that, you know, they had the, the the most difficult tasks. They were struggling a bit, and they needed to do a lot of cost-cutting. And there's there's nothing more difficult than trying to engage people on cost-cutting because everybody's afraid they're going to lose their job. And so fascinating and so interesting with this company, as soon as they went from talking about cost-cutting to cost-saving, so even the language mattered, And then they kind of sparked some friendly competition between teams on which teams could come up with the most cost-saving ideas. And what was really incredible, but we've seen it happen again and again, is once they opened the door, opened those communication channels we were talking about before, for input from the employees, they they, they went in thinking, you know, they'll be lucky, 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 lucky if they get 50 good ideas. And they got 300, which Mm. was virtually an idea from every single employee in Mm. the company. And so the next year, they set the stakes a bit higher and they said, you know, that was awesome. That was amazing. But we want really big impact ideas. If we can come up with 10 ideas that save us at least 10 grand, that would be fabulous. 
And again, they just super super exceeded their numbers. They came up with 20 that more than doubled what they thought the savings would be. And so that's just a beautiful example of how do we change. One of the key ways is, is opening up those channels of communication to hear from everyone in the organization about their ideas for change. And what we see again and again and again is there is brilliance all over the organization that's just being untapped. And if you give people those opportunities, that's what really empowers and inspires and engages and sets sets people up for the next change because they go, wow, that was great. Look at the impact we've had. Let's do that again. Mm. Right. Yeah, boy, that's a great way to close this conversation. Uh, this is one of those conversations I call an iceberg conversation because we have barely <laughs> touched. I mean, there's so much more we could dive into. And in fact, we'll have to uh, talk offline. Maybe there's some other things we can do to continue to talk about these critically important subjects. So, Lisa, Ellen, all the time we have for today, uh, Lisa, I'll ask you, how can people contact you should they have any questions? Strategy changemanagement.com and I was going to say we offer workshops and keynotes and one-on-one mentoring and consulting uh, so that if you're interested in this topic by Stragility, we've got exercises in the book, but also think about having a workshop or having um, having us come in and work with your organization. Outstanding. Ellen, where can people get their hands on a copy of the book? So I'm in Toronto, so in Canada, um, it's Amazon.ca and Indigo, and in the U.S., it's Amazon.com and Barnes & Nobles. All right. Lisa Hillenbrand and Ellen Oster, the co-authors of Stragility, Excelling at Strategic Changes. Lisa, Ellen, again, it was great to have you. Thanks so much for stopping by and joining us. Thank you so much, Todd. All right. The pleasure was mine. All right. All the time we have for today, again, on behalf of my guests, Lisa Hillenbrand and Ellen Oster, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. Intrepid Business.